us. Um, it really is a pleasure to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. Um, and I'm going to look backwards to look forwards. And I'd like to just make some reference. Uh, this last month, do you remember Ashley Bell came into our church and um, he had a prophetic word for us. And every time that we have a prophetic word in our church, we try and take it seriously and ask God to speak to us and help us understand what he's saying to us for the future of our church. And so uh, about a month ago, Ashley came in and he, he spoke to us and had this word about David and Goliath and that God was calling us as a church community to be like David, to not feel intimidated by what we face and also not to feel that we need to take on the armor of everyone else or be like anyone else, but that God would give us as a church community five stones, just as David was given five smooth stones, God would give us strategies to help us as we look to the future, to what the church needs to move into, and God would speak specifically to us about what we need. And so we've been thinking as a, as a leadership team and asking God what those things possibly might be. We're not sure what all of them might be, but we certainly do feel that our, our first stone, if you like, is the time of prayer and fasting that we're going to do in September. The second thing we do feel is that I've spoken um, about the launch of a business forum in the church in October. We feel that's another strategy. And uh, I want to just kind of hold those things in tension this morning and look at one particular scripture and then look to some things of history to hopefully inspire and encourage you as we look to God for the future. And I really trust as you go away on holiday and you recreate yourself and you refresh yourself and you seek God for your own life, that you would also be aware that God has saved you for a purpose. And the purpose that God has saved you for is that you might bear much fruit for Him. And so I want to ask you this morning just to consider whatever your gifts you have, whether you are an accountant, a lawyer, whether you are a creative, you're a painter, you work in the movie industry, you're a musician, whether you own your own business, whether you're an entrepreneur, whatever, whatever God has gifted you with, that your life really does count for the kingdom and He wants you to bear much fruit for Him. All right? And sometimes we can disconnect our lives and we can, have our, we can have our church life, we can have our social life with our friends, and then we can have our, our sort of business life. And they never connect with each other. And I want to encourage you this morning that God wants you to connect all of those three things together, your church life, your relationships, your family life, that what you do with your skill, that you can be a blessing to the people of this nation, and we can see the nation transformed by ordinary Christians doing ordinary things in, and doing through ordinary things, extraordinary things happening. Amen. And so that's really, uh, uh, the title of my, um, of my message is simply taken from Malachi this morning. It's doers of justice and lovers of mercy. Doers of justice and lovers of mercy. And so as we think about fasting in September, I want to kick off by looking at a chapter in Isaiah that talks about fasting. All right? So we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 58. You know it well. I'm going to make three comments out of this. We're going to look at some history, and then hopefully it's going to inspire you for the future. All right, here we go. So Isaiah 58 says this. We're going to read 12 verses together. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me. They seem eager to know my ways as if, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for me to come near. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, 
and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, only for a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing your head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go out before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer you. He will cry, you will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger, malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide your ways. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will repair the ancient ruins and you will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Amen. What an amazing portion of scripture. Absolutely amazing. And this, this is what I want to just try and speak about from various angles this morning is we've, we've not just been saved to avoid evil, we've been saved to, to do good. Uh, it follows that Jesus' people should not know, just primarily be known for what we don't do or what we oppose, but for what we do do and what we stand for. All right? This is becoming a prophetic people. And we t Ashley was encouraging us to become a prophetic people. And you might recall also in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul says this, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Yep. Created for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You recall, he also, Paul says in Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Or thirdly, Jesus' words, Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to God. Amen? We are, we are saved for a purpose. Part of why we are saved is to be fruitful in our lives and through our lives. Rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life. And my prayer is this morning that you'll see that your skill, whatever your particular gift is, counts for the kingdom in a profound and radical way. Whatever you're called to do with your life. It's, you, are, you are destined for much fruit, and you will bear much fruit if you continue to buy, buy just yourself in Him. We're not saved through our works, but the aim and the fruit of our salvation is to do good works. And as God continues to bless our church in St. Albans, and we work into other areas of this nation and beyond, I really trust there's also going to be a growth in God-glorifying good works 
in the name of Jesus, that bring glory to Him wherever we go. Amen? So my message is simply this this morning, that we continue to be a prophetic people who are doers of justice and lovers of mercy and people who walk humbly with our God. And I'd like you to reflect on that this holiday season uh, and ask the Lord for your own life what that looks like. And it's going to look different for each and every one of us as we seek Him and ask Him for our lives. And so this text that I chose this morning, Isaiah 58, is a practical text about social justice and practical mercy. And before I apply it to our church, I want to make two basic points quite clear. The first is this, is that Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus has come. He's prophesying. He's speaking an indictment over God's people, Israel. And he knows that the Redeemer, Jesus, the Messiah, has not yet come when he's writing, but that he will come. And when Messiah comes, he will bring justice to his people, right? That's the first thing. Messiah is destined to bring justice for his people. And he will bear the sins of injustice. He will bring the very thing that God demands. And so that's why Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of all of us. Yep, it's the point, basic point Isaiah is making. When Messiah comes, when the Redeemer comes, he will take upon himself the injustice that we all deserve and deal with it once and forever. Amen? That's the first basic point. Secondly, Jesus, as Messiah, shows us the way of how we should live as perfect human beings. He was the only perfect human to ever walk the earth, and he shows us through his life what he wants from us as his followers, as those that follow him, as Jesus' disciples. And so Jesus brought through his life, the very justice that God demanded. He lived perfectly, not only to become our righteousness and to become a spotless, sin-bearing lamb for us, but also to show us, show us how God wants us to live as human beings. Yes, this is the mystery of the incarnation, that Jesus is fully God and yet perfectly shows us how we should be as human beings, how we should live, what we should value, how we should see the world perfectly because he is at the same time, fully God and fully man. And so when Jesus arrives at his hometown and he speaks in the synagogue, you remember he takes the scroll in Luke chapter 4 and he says this, he quotes Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yep. And then he adds and he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the embodiment of all of this. This is what I've been called to do. This is, I am, I am the Christ. And so he's really saying, a decisive time of power, of justice, and mercy has arrived on earth in the person of himself, and he's going to show us how we should live by how he lives. Amen? And so therefore, when we read Isaiah now, uh, uh, 2,000 years later, he's, 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 um, it's an indictment on God's people 
all those years ago that he's prophesying about because they are not living that way. And yet we don't hear Isaiah like that anymore. We hear Isaiah now as Christians on this side of Messiah coming, on this side of the Redeemer redeeming us, and on this side of justice being inaugurated in the world. And we look back on all things and we can see it from that perspective now, through the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, and we can see how we should live in a just and merciful way. Because Jesus has showed us. That's Isaiah's point. So what is the main point of Isaiah 58 then? It's very simple. Isaiah is saying this. Zeal, religious zeal that is not accompanied by a passion for social justice and mercy is worthless. Yep. Sometimes we don't like to hear that. But basically, he is, I can put it positively, he's, when we look at the final verses, he, the promise of Isaiah is that our Righteousness will break forth like the dawn, will shine like the sun if our passion and our faith is producing a passion and a faith for social justice and for mercy. Then your righteousness will break forth like the dawn. When you are consumed with those things of giving yourself away and making the world a better place for other people who are less fortunate than you are, then your righteousness breaks forth like the dawn, says Isaiah. That's the great promise of Isaiah 58. And so the first five verses are this indictment, this judgment that Isaiah is bringing on God's people. Um, Raise your voice like a trumpet to kill to my people their rebellion. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for decisions and seem eager for God to come near. In other words, he's saying, Isaiah is saying, the people of Israel, you are pious, you are religious, you read the Torah, you are, you are church going, you go to the synagogue, you pray, your delight is in those things, and yet you don't seem to enjoy God and the ways of God. You feel, seem to forget how God really sees the world and what he's concerned about. He's concerned about justice. He's concerned about mercy. He's concerned that your life counts for changing things around you so that people can come into his kingdom and see him for who he is. Amen. And so here we see this description of religious zeal without any fruit in, uh, out of it, and God is not pleased. And then in verse 3 they say, it's like this question they ask back. Why have we fasted and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? And God answers that their fasting and their pious religious practices are really a religious cover, cover for excusing injustice in the society in which they live. They're trying to just ignore their injustice and say, well, we're doing all the right religious things. And um, he says, uh, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit your workers. How relevant Monday is to Sunday? How relevant is what we do on Sunday to Monday? Uh, we can make ourselves look pious and religious and prayerful and do all the right things. But really God is saying through Isaiah, saying to his people, I see your business practices. I see what you do on a Monday. I see how you behave during the week. And actually, you are harsh in how you deal with other people. You are unkind. You do not treat them fairly. Your workers are not treated with equity. And actually, I don't like that. It does not please me one bit. So don't do the fasting without the change of heart. Because that's really what I'm after. I'm after a changed heart that sees the world differently and is transformed by the power of the cross. I always end up like this. I try to be relaxed, and it always ends up like this kind of thing. But it's true. I can't help myself. 
And in verse 4, he says, your fasting ends in quarreling, it's strife, striking each other with fists. You can't be, your fasting's not going to be heard if you behave like this. And I've said it many, many times. Let me say it again. What really matters in the Christian life is how we live from Monday to Saturday. That's what really counts. Well, that's where our Christian mission happens. That's, it's really where the rubber hits the road. It's really where we bear fruitfulness in our lives. And we all of us have an opportunity to make a real difference to other people through how we live and the attitude with which we do business. We teach at school. We are a student. We are an entrepreneur. We are a creative, whatever it is. The attitude with, with, with how we use our lives and our skills makes a real difference to our community and brings the kingdom. And I want to encourage you this morning, whatever your skill is, that you would give it to the Lord Jesus, whether you're building houses or you're creative or whatever you're doing, that you're doing it so something of the kingdom comes through your life. Amen? And so I want to put it to you like this. Is the, uh, the authenticity of our worship on Sunday, is it shaping our practice of justice and mercy on Monday? I could frame it another way. Will the zeal of Sunday produce a passion for justice and mercy on Monday? When we get to the dentistry, when we get to the schoolroom, when we get to the business meeting, how does it shape us? How does our worship shape what we do Monday to Saturday? Um, when I was uh, much younger, uh, an American preacher called Tony Campolo. Anyone heard of Tony Campolo, ba business guy? He, he came, um, a Baptist guy. He came to our church in Bryanston, and he preached this message. He wrote a book called, It's Friday, But Sunday's Coming. And basically, it was a story of testimonies of how the resurrection had transformed people's lives. And so all these testimonies of people that had been changed. And so the, the phrase that he repeated over and over, he was quoting um, a, a, a Southern Baptist preacher who kept saying, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I can't do it, but anyway. It's Friday, but, and that was the phrase over and over and over again. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The resurrection is coming. Take hope. What I want to say to you, perhaps we should say, it's Sunday, but Monday's coming. Monday's coming. How am I going to live my life? What am I going to do? How is it going to transform those around me? Good question. Will the zeal of Sunday produce a passion for justice on Monday? That is the basic question of Isaiah 58. And then from verse 6 to verse 10, he tells us practically, Isaiah, what social justice looks like, what practical mercy looks like that pleases God. It's very simple. This is not the kind of fasting I've chosen. To loose the, chain, loose the chains of injustice, entire the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them, not to turn away from your flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear God. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. All of us want to hear God say, here I am. Five simple things that Isaiah and Jesus are passionately concerned about, and we need certainly, first of all, to be saved. We need forgiveness. We need personal holiness. But here are five other things that Jesus and Isaiah are passionately concerned about. First of all, the need for freedom from bondage and fear. 
Do you notice in verse 6 and verse 9, four times Isaiah reiterates this over and over again. Loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke, do away with the yoke of oppression. How many of you can see oppression all over the world? In our communities, in our society, we are called as Christians to fight oppression and to tear it down. It's part of being a Christian that God wants us to be. Yes? And this is where we have to get our politics in line with the gospel. This is where immigration really does have a, a major, whatever your political view, come on. What does the Bible say about people that have nothing that need to be clothed and housed? Come on. That went down really well. Second, the need for food. What about the need for food? Share your food with the hungry. Third, the need for housing. Is it not to bring the homeless poor into a shelter? Fourth, the need for clothing. When you see the naked, clothe them. The need for respect. The need for respect. So much need for respect in our culture. People pointing fingers, canceling. Those that don't agree. You know what I've, I've, I've begun to realize? As the Christian faith gets more and more eroded in our culture, and more and more done away with, and say so we don't need that anymore. You know, one of the basic things of Christianity is this. Take the, the plank out of your own eye before you try and take the speck out of someone else's eye. You see? And what happens in our culture, as soon as you start removing that, your judgment on something is automatically seen as superior to everyone else's. And because you can't see the plank in your own eye, you judge the speck in everyone else's ear. Why has Instagram and Twitter and social media become so unkind where people can just cancel each other because they don't even see the plank in their own eye anymore. They only see the speck in everyone else's eye. Let's not live like that. God's calling us to live differently. As His people see the world differently, the need for respect so Isaiah preaches justice to God's people. Jesus displays God's justice to his people and through his life. And he cleanses us and empowers us as the people of God so that our lives and our faith produce a passion for practical mercy and social justice. And if it doesn't, our devotion to God is empty. It is meaningless, says Isaiah. But if it is full of love and devotion for Christ, it will produce a life that frees the oppressed, that feeds the hungry, that provides hungry houses for the homeless and clothes the naked and puts away belittling talk and pointing fingers. And that's what I want to say to you this morning, Forest Town Church. If we have faith like that, our light will break forth like the dawn and our righteousness will appear and everyone will see it. Come on, I'm trying my best to encourage you this morning. And so, as we think about the future, as we think about how we're going to fast in September, as we think about the business forum, as we think about all of these things, let's seek God in our own lives for fruit that is going to be seen and evidenced as we simply serve Him with our gifts and desire His blessings. So then the, the rest of Isaiah, now I'm going to give some practical historical things now that I hope will encourage you, but the rest of Isaiah is the promise of God. If you, do the, if you start to see the world like this, if you start to, to put this in practice in your own life, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. You will call the Lord and He will answer, etc., etc. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. How many of you are feeling that the world is a little bit sun-scorched at the moment? 
It's quite tough out there right now, isn't it? Not just the weather, but the economy and everything. It's tough. The sun-scorched land is upon us. And God's promise is, if you seek me with all of your heart, if you do what I want you to do, even in the sun-scorched land, what does he say? His promise. I will strengthen your frame. Yes? I will make you strong. Even when everything around you is sun-scorched, man, you're gonna, you're, my hand is upon you, and you're going to prosper in the midst of that. What a beautiful promise for God's people. If I need to take his word seriously, like, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up age-old foundations, and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. So there are the promises that God has for us. We'll call on the Lord. He will answer. He will satisfy our needs in the sun-scorched land. He will strengthen our frame, and we will be called repairers of ruins and brace up the age-old foundations of things that have been broken. And I want to put it to you, there's a wonderful writer, um, a British evangelist called Alan Redpath. He died in 1989. He wrote this. He said this, We live in a broken world. In every direction there are breaches which are wide and deep. There are broken hearts. There are broken homes. And that, once, that was once sacred is now a waste place. Whereas once there was a careful guarded fence around the sanctity of family life, sex life, the right to personal privacy, it's just a waste place. The wall of protection is in ruins and life has lost most of its meaning. He wrote that in 1989. I think it's even more true today. In other words, God wants people that are going to help to rebuild those things that are broken. And with that as a context, I want to just give you some examples from history that are really, really trust will encourage you through some men and women's lives who lived in a way that Isaiah 58 encourages us to do. And these days there's a, a really, um, there is a much needed focus on business, business ethics and corporate responsibility. And these are good things. Companies are increasingly judged not just on how much profit they're making but, uh, and, and how the shareholders are happy, but on how they treat their workers and the impact that they have on the environment, the community, on equality, and all these things are good things. But I want to share some examples as I finish this morning from Victorian, the Victorian times 150 years ago where Victorian industrialists who managed to combine commercial success with social responsibility, which is really what Isaiah is saying, with such spectacular effect that we are still benefiting from what they sowed 150 years ago. Now, I've shared some of these things before, and if you've heard them, you're going to hear them again. And some of the businesses that these people created, you still, for the most part, will see are still thriving today and include some of the most successful companies that the UK has ever seen. Not only that, but there's philanthropic institutions and charities that they established that continue to improve the lives of millions of people across this nation, across the world today. Let this inspire you that your gift can make a difference. And how many of you can say in this room this morning that you have not been touched in some way by one of these things, at least one of these people that I'm going to mention this morning? Who of you here this morning has not given into the temptation of a Cadbury's bar of chocolate or Round Trees fruit gums or Hartley's or Palmer's Biscuits. Anyone? All right, good. Surely of you and many of us have visited a Boots chemist and walked into Boots and got what we need. How many of you enjoyed Coleman's Mustard? How many of you put personal detergent into your washing machines? 
There are many other products I could mention. These were all businesses started by Christian men and women 150 years ago. And let me just expand a little bit. What is most notable in these stories is that many of these people came from humble origins, none of them, uh, some of them from considerable poverty. Most, two of them left school at age 13. The rest a little bit later. None of them went to university. Most worked behind the counters in their parents' shops. And from the, those beginnings, they rose to become some of the most influential people of their generation and employed and changed the lives of thousands and thousands of people and continue to do so. Some of them were, were innovators and renovated their particular field of expertise. For example, George Cadbury and Joseph Roundtree introduced new pure chocolate that didn't have added starch and other products, and they began to dominate the confectionery market completely. Jeremiah Coleman, William Lever, saw the importance of marketing to a whole new mass consumer market. Thomas Holloway, anyone heard of Holloway um, uh, Medical Institute? Well, Thomas Holloway was one of the guys I want to speak about. Jesse Boot, they were consummate salesmen. Uh, we realized the importance of advertising, and that ushered in a whole new way of doing business in, in the cheap uh, um, co consumer markets. And number, a number of these people also relocated their workforce from squalid conditions onto what we would today call greenfield sites. And you can still s visit some of those things. If you go to the Midlands, you can visit Bourneville. You can, it's near Ayerswick. You can visit Saltire. You can visit Port Sunlight. All of these are memorials to what these people did for those that, that they employed and how they changed their lives. Go and have a look. We can make a difference. And um, anyone employed at Salts or Cadbury's or Roundtree or by the Lever Brothers, they didn't just provide wages for their people, but they, they provided housing, health care, education, recreation, entertainment. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? Says Isaiah. When you do these things, this is the kind of fast I'm really interested in, says God. They ran company night schools, they, they did social dance events, provided allotments for their employees to work, work on. On bank holidays, they organized trips to the sea. I've heard some people when I've preached this before, they say, oh, you know, that's so, that's so um, what's the, um, patriarchal, so patriarchal. These men doing all this stuff, they didn't even ask the workers what they wanted. At least they did something. At least they provided houses and they provided entertainment. They did something. Come on. How patriarchal. We don't do that anymore. Fathers, how patriarchal. There were two basic motivations of these men, mainly men. Free trade, self-help, minimal government interference. So there was a Victorian liberalism that uh, motivated them. And uh, it's, they, they also stood for generosity, tolerance, democracy. They, they represented radical social reform carried out by individuals. And they were also, that was one motivation certainly, but here's the other basic motivation. They were all motivated by faith. Every single one of those people was motivated by faith. They were mainly nonconformists, so they weren't part of the Anglican or Catholic tradition. And I think that's because, as one of the, you know, Max Weber is a famous um, economist, said that the Protestant work ethic has shaped the way the West is. I absolutely agree with that. And many others would agree that the, these nonconformists uh, played a major, major role in the 19th century in making Britain what it is today. George Palmer, George Cadbury, 
Joseph Roundtree were all Quakers. All of them. Joseph Fry of Fry's Chocolate was also. There was a famous banking dynasty. Perhaps you've heard of it. Lloyd's of London and Barclays. Ever heard of these banks? Quaker banks formed by Quakers to help their people, to help the poor. What about um, Titus Salt and William Lever, Thomas Beecham? They all came from a congregational background. So some of them were Quakers. Some of them came from a congregational background. From the Methodists, we can see people like Jesse Bond and W.H. Smith. Anyone heard of W.H. Smith, by the way? William Hartley established the biggest jam factory in in, in the U.K. Anyone had Hartley's jam? Every time you buy one of these products, remember, this was a Christian trying to do something good with his life that produced this. For What about Sir George Chubb? Anyone got a safe, a Chubb safe? And from the Baptists, unfortunately, I don't know why, <laughs> there were few entrepreneurs. But Joseph Coleman was one of the best known, and uh, alongside a guy called Thomas Cook. Anyone heard of Thomas Cook? Oh, yeah, Thomas Cook. What what did he do? Well, he began his business career by organizing transport for ordinary church-going people and Sunday school outings. That's how he started his business. Come on. Doesn't that encourage you? The simple thing that you have in your hand, you can just do it, and God can do something amazing through that. So I don't have time to discuss many things further, but certainly if you want to read, it's inspiring to read about how these things continue to shape our culture and, and, the, and how they were started in their culture, simply people with Isaiah 58 beating in their hearts saying, I want to do something to make this world better. That's what it means to be prophetic people. It's Sunday, but Monday's coming. Let today motivate us to live for justice and mercy starting tomorrow morning. And I want to encourage you to live boldly this week, and to ask the Lord as you recreate, as as you seek Him over the holidays, how can your life shape justice and mercy for those around you? I want to pray that you continue to show Jesus in your workplace, to your colleagues, not only in how you speak or what you value, but in also how you do business, how you treat others, and how you show Christ in those simple realities. I was praying this morning, as I normally do on a Sunday morning, and I was so inspired. I went to the BBC um, webpage and I was just reading Charlie Mackersy's story. Anyone heard of Charlie Mackersy? What a beautiful man. An illustrator. Drawing pictures. Five years ago, he put something on, his, on Instagram about a mole, a horse, a boy. And a and, uh, publisher said, I really like this. Perhaps we can do a book. And if you don't know Charlie Makers, he's a Christian, and much of what he does is just trying to encourage people through his, his pithy sayings and his illustrations. So they said, oh, that's illust- this uh, publisher said, let's, let's do a book. They did a book. Today, it's sold 8 million copies. It's been translated into 40 languages. It's the best UK hardback-covered seller of the century. It was made into a movie. He won an Oscar. He's got a little barn in Suffolk, and he just draws pictures. And I read, this is what he says. He says, I'm shocked we even made a book. 
It wasn't meant to be a book. It was just me sharing drawings to cheer people up. How beautiful. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. Use it for the kingdom, and you don't know what's going to come, what good is going to come for it. And I want to pray that this church will produce many people, many businesses that will change our nation and the world for the better as we all find that little smooth stone, whatever it is for us, and we just use it faithfully. We fight our battles. Don't worry about being like anyone else. Just do what God's called us to do. And through us, we'll see some Goliaths fall in this nation. And we'll be a blessing to this nation and to this world. And I pray that as we look back on this time, these years, that we will see that God did speak. And many seeds were planted into many hearts in this congregation that produced businesses that were led differently, that worked differently, and that produced great fruit for the nation and for the kingdom. Amen. God bless you.